Welcome to season eight of a Vietnam podcast, sharing the stories of people connected to Vietnam. My name is Neil Mackay. I've been living in Vietnam since 2016 and hosting this podcast since 2019. I wanted to know more about the people that lived in Vietnam, both local and foreigners, and share their story. Over the years, we now share the stories of people from around the world connected to Vietnam. My guest today is the CEO of Harkis Consultancy Group, a football consultancy company based here in Asia, and he's also a qualified UEFA coach, an elite scout, and qualified intermediary, which we'll find out what that is in a minute. We are also both reformed conspiracy theorists. So in this episode, we're going to talk about his background in football, how he's bringing the former Man City player Yaya Touré to Vietnam in June, his work in Vietnamese and Asian football and the development of that here, and then on a completely unrelated subject, why, like me, he believed in the many conspiracy theories that are plaguing the world and how he came out of that rabbit hole. My guest today is Richard Harkis, and we have a lot to talk about, so thank you for joining me. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. And I also, I should say, I feel bad that you're wearing a football top and I'm not. <laughs> if you are watching this on YouTube, I am wearing the Holland Retro 94 football top that I will specifically in Richard's honor for this podcast. So I'm disappointed as well, but that's all right. Now, the other warning here is that we are both Scottish um, and we can't add subtitles on the podcast. There will be subtitles on YouTube. I tend to get more and more Scottish the, as I talk to someone from Scotland. So we'll see how that goes as we progress. <laughs> so let's start, let's start with football. So first of all, what is a football intermediary? So basically it's, it's the same as an agent. Uh, FIFA, in their divine wisdom, some time ago, because they, they were trying to regulate who was an intermediate or who was a football agent and who wasn't, it was trying to move away from the Arthur Daly car dealership type wheeler and dealer attitude of people's conceptions of what an agent was. And so in their divine wisdom, they thought, we'll just change the name. And they did. So they started calling people intermediaries. And I think it was maybe six, seven months ago, maybe longer than that now, they moved back to being an agent. So there's people like myself who just say intermediary agent, same, same, same thing. There's nothing more mysterious or dark to it than that. That's it. I love how we've already lost half the audience with the Arthur Daly reference. This is like not only a very specific British reference, it's a British TV show. Anyone who's younger than like 35, 30, has no idea who Arthur Daly is. You've managed to alienate the entire Vietnam podcast yeah. audience with one reference. <laughs> <laughs> podcast finished. No, so, but so you are, you, so you're a football agent then. That um, comes with many connotations. My first connotation is that's cool. Then maybe a lot of people will be like, oh, dodgy agents. And then I'm sure the truth somewhere lies in between as the truth normally does. So what is the reality then of being a football intermediary agent? Well, for, for me, really, I didn't really intend to set out to be an agent intermediary, kind of whatever you want to call it. I don't, I also still don't consider myself an agent as such. The reason why I started to, to look into it was in order to help players and give them a better 
background knowledge when they were speaking to clubs. My my passion and my, my heart is very much in youth development. And I realized that there was a gap in education coming from coaches to inform parents and inform players to allow them to have informed choices when they're speaking to clubs, when they're moving from academy to professional football, the legalities of contracts, book deals, all that kind of stuff. So I wanted to have a bit of background knowledge in it. And it turned out that I was not too bad at it and ended up landing clients like Yaya Tori. So I kind of landed in there as default. It was never really something I wanted to do. I still love coaching. I still love the, 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 the coaching side and the youth development side, but I'm also very, very aware of how agents are looked at because I look at them in that way as well. <laughs> so it's, I, I kind of always tried to say that I'm an agent, but I'm not like those other agents. <laughs> and I speak to a lot of very good agents who say exactly the same. So it's cl- very clear like, like any other type of industry, there's good people and there's bad people. The bad people usually get the press and the good people are kind of shunned and ignored. So, yeah, so I can appreciate the concerns and I know what comes with that title as well. And it's about trying to change people's perception of that. But, you know, it's it's so frustrating because that is just the media, right? So it's actually interesting that we brought this up because two things have gone through my head just this week. One was actually about football agents because there was a news report about agents have taken so much money out of football and all this money goes to agents. And I don't know, I like to think of myself as a bit of more of a nuanced person. So I'm thinking about it and I'm like, I'm thinking exactly what you're saying. These football players are now being paid anywhere from £10,000 a week or even £5,000 a week up to £500,000 a week, right? You've trained to do football your whole life. How do you know how to do all that stuff you just said? Sign a contract, the legalities of a book deal. You don't know that. That's not your expertise. Yeah. So what do you do? You hire someone like any other profession. Like you hire an accountant to look after your finances. You hire a mechanic to look after your car. You hire someone who has experience in that field and they know what to do. So I'm just like, yeah, okay, agents are taking all this money, but there's never been this much money in football before. So somebody has to help these young people. It used to be the manager managed the whole football club and walked in and said to this young boy, he'll sign this contract. And then like, that was it. So we've moved the power over now to the players. And so, so I, I can, when you said, when you explained that, I was like, yeah, I mean, that's the way I see it. And my other thought about how the media treats things is, have you seen the news lately about, you know, that Captain Tom, the guy in the UK that walked like a hundred laps and raised all this money for the NHS. So there's been a yeah. bit of a kind of thing in the news this week about how his foundation that has been started in his honor has spent all this money on consultants and they've barely given any money to charity and blah, blah, blah. And so I've worked in charity for most of my life. And the charity responds like, this is a brand new foundation. We have set up costs. Like we need to spend money on salaries and all this other stuff. And I'm reading it. And I'm like, get rid of these bullshit headlines that don't help charities. They don't help anyone. They're like, Captain Tom's charity hasn't given away any money this year. And it's like, this is not the reality. So sorry, that's my rant on the media, but it just, it does tie into the whole kind of agent perception. But I'm sure, like you said, there are some good and there are some bad ones, but I do think they are very very necessary so you are the agent for yaya Touri, the man the former man city player that's that's pretty cool yeah i I completely agree with you i would say i'm the asian agent for yaya Touri across asia 
I work with his team that he has a PR team in England. So uh, I assist him with, with a lot of activities out here, as I do other footballers as well with potential um, marketing, advertising and, and stuff like that as well. Uh, and yeah, you're 100% correct. I, I hear a lot about people talking about how much. Now, first of all, what I would say, how much players footballers get. What people tend to always forget is they look at the top end high earners and they forget that there's thousands of players <laughs> all over the world that are not making anywhere near that type of money. Now, also, those people uh, are the top that have made it into the top, uh, rather, made it into the top of the game. Those players are the percent of the percent of the 1% yep. of the 0.1% that have managed to make it, that have been spotted, that have gone to an academy, that have came through a professional academy, that have been selected that for the first team, that are good enough to... It goes on and on and yep. on. But we only tend to really look at the players at the top end and they don't realize that there's lots of other players that are not on big wages whatsoever. But... It doesn't sell paper if you talk about these ones. It doesn't, yeah. you know, it's not clickbait headline. So like anything else in life, they focus on the, the stories to, to, for, for the clicks. That's it. I've said this exact same thing as well before that, like I've said it to my wife when we've been talking about like, that guy makes 500,000 a week or 250,000 a week. But it's like, he is, I've said the exact same thing as you. He's like the top 0.01% of footballers, like, He's one of like 10 players in the, the whole wide world that makes that amount of money. And it's similar with movie stars as well. It's the same thing. Like, oh, he gets paid 40 million a movie and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, there's about like 50 of them in the world that get paid that. And the rest of movie stars are all struggling or movie actors are struggling. But, but the difference that people also need to take into consideration is that that movie star can make movies until he's an old guy. The footballer can't play at the top of the game. Now, that footballer might also get an injury and be out of the game. And many of these players don't have a profession to fall back on. So it's a case of trying to make as much money as possible. Gone are the days for those top-end players. I mean, I was very fortunate to be friends with Billy McNeil, the Celtic uh, captain, the Celtic manager, first British person to lift the European Cup in 1967. I'm massively privileged to have known him as a friend and he owned a bar in Glasgow. This You, you wouldn't see David Beckham or Scholes <laughs> or uh, any of these guys. You know, David Beckham, he, he won't own a bar to make money because, you know, it's, it's, compl it's completely different. So, yeah, it, Things have changed and times have changed. You know, you still see some countries, Scotland particularly, where they have the you know the benefit match for the for the player as he's it's coming to end his career, and, and that was there as a nest egg for them mm. in their in their retirement years. Yeah. Whereas, you know that that's that's changed in football now. So yeah, people need to have a little bit of a more open mind when they look at that. But as we mentioned, and we won't go too too deep into it maybe later on, but is that's always the media, right? And it, everything you see with the media, you just have to take a step back and go, like I said as well, there's one side and there's another side and the truth is somewhere in the middle always and, and the media is only going to give you the clickbait version of it, so as to speak. But from from your bio, I mean, so I'm, I'm a, I've been a football fan since, like I said, the, the day I was born. You have like the dream job to me, like you're a football consultant, you're an agent, a qualified coach. 
I never tried to do any of that. I did study sports science, so I studied sport and exercise science at Strathclyde University. And my, my goal was to become a, a sports scientist. I was really into physiotherapy and sports psychology, things like that. And then you talk about how you just fell into this job. I mean, I don't think I've ever met anyone who didn't fall into their job. Anyone you meet, like, how did you end up doing this? Oh, well, funny story, like ended up falling into it. So I, I fell out of doing anything towards sports psychology. But what is your background? How did you end up here in Asia then? What brought you from Scottish football coach to in Asia? So for for me, I mean, I fell into the intermediary thing purely because of my love for football coaching and development. As I said, I wouldn't necessarily say that I fell into everything that I do in football. Similar to yourself, in Scotland, you're born, the first thing you're handed is a football and, and they hang the little football boots from your pram because, you know, that's it. That's what happens the minute you're born. Yeah. Uh, like many countries in Europe, that's what it's like. And that's beginning to be like that in Asia as well, which is great. For me, uh, I played, I played up schoolboy level. I played at Dinah Hibs and I played, you know, so I get to, I got to pull on the, the, the colors of the team that I support, which you which was great. I played schoolboy football for Scotland as well, which was brilliant, which was excellent. The reality of the matter, though, is I just I wasn't good enough. It took me years to really admit that. I got an injury. Uh, I got an injury years ago to my knee playing in a tournament in France. And I always use it as an excuse. But the reality is I probably wasn't good enough. Mm. And it takes you a while to admit that. My second love was, was music, so I got into music, and that's what I went to university to do, to do sound engineering. Through, through my music, I got involved in a lot of youth work, helping uh, young people across Glasgow in music production and DJing and like, lyrics writing. And I worked a lot for Glasgow City Council and Glasgow Life, which is a youth work organisation. And through that, they kind of, a lot of the boys and the girls that I worked with found out, you know, that I had a love for football and I had a background in football. So I used to come in and help coach them, but I didn't have any coaching qualifications. So Glasgow City Council said to me, we, uh, you can't coach the kids if you don't have coaching qualifications. So they very kindly put me through my early coaching badges. I kind of got the bug, fell out of love with music and fell head over heels back in love with football but rather than being on the pitch it was the closest thing to be kind of on the sidelines so it kind of reignited my love and I, I was relatively successful I worked with Kenny Moyes team Broom Hill Davey Moyes' brother Kenny who is a, an agent <laughs> and, and so I, I worked with his under 14s I'd worked uh, a little bit with with uh, Hibs as well I had the the honor of being able to go up to the training ground and the guys at Hibs were, were brilliant. You know, they welcomed me up to the training ground. I got to watch sessions of the first team and just really, I was up there all the time with a, with a pad and pen taking notes. I did a little bit of work with Celtic and just kind of tried to, to learn the trade. As I said, I was speaking to Billy McNeil at the time. He was giving me a lot of advice and then I was offered a job to coach in Singapore. So I moved over to Singapore. I then got offered a job at Arsenal, worked for a while with Arsenal, and moved around the region, got a job in Thailand, moved to the States, worked in the States for a year. I moved from coach development officer to director of football, got offered a job in Vietnam as director of football, came back to, to Vietnam, worked a lot with Fox Football, which is by far 
the, the best development academy that a young person could have. And not south of Vietnam, I, I truly believe that the whole of Vietnam, if not the whole of Southeast Asia. And then I started my own consultancy company after creating a network, which is what 10, 12 years in Southeast Asia, which kind of brings me to today. So that, that's the watered down quick version. <laughs> I could keep listening. It's a, that's awesome. Yeah. Like I said, I'm pretty jealous. I, I actually went over to America to coach, now coach, quote, unquote, soccer at a summer camp. Now, by coaching soccer, that just meant getting the kids to stop playing cards and just get up and kick a ball about. So I was the head of football for about three years. But the best thing I did, I was so funny. I had to even paint the lines on the football pitch and I'd never done that before. And you've never seen a squinter line in your life. Like it, the whole pitch looked like I, I couldn't wait for the grass to grow out so we could cut it. It was so bad. I never realized that was such a skill to draw four straight lines that meet at a right angle. Do you know, it's funny you say that actually, because I, well, I, I might contest that. I remember playing at a tournament at the Walu Stadium in District 4, I think it is. Walu's in District 4, District 3. Yeah, just past the zoo. And the... Sitting in the main stand, it's two seven-a-side pitches looking on a full-size pitch. But when I stood in the main stand, I could see that, so you have two pitches, one here and one here, but the corner flag here and the corner flag of the adjacent pitch, the line joined to that corner flag and the corner flag here lines to there. Of course, it's supposed to be here and here, but the tournament had already started. It wasn't me that did the lines. It was the organizers and, yeah, that. that. That might be the worst line I've ever seen along the along the tunnel. Well, I, I didn't. I didn't tell you. I actually volunteered for that tournament. So no, I'm just kidding. On it wasn't me. It wasn't me. But it could have been. It could well have been. So tell us, what is the? So obviously, football is is massive here. It's quite funny. We both interchange. I think without hesitation between soccer and football. Because to me, I lived in America for five years, and then it makes no difference to me. I, I say soccer probably even more than football these days. And it was so, so funny because I went over for the first summer and anytime somebody said soccer, soccer, I like cringed. I'm like, that's ah, football, you know. And then by the next summer, I was like to everybody, all right, guys, let's get a big game of soccer. And then all the new recruits who were all from Britain, they were all like, oh, yeah, it's not soccer, it's football. And I'm like, oh, geez, I've already turned. I've, I've went to the dark side already. But football, soccer, football is obviously massive here in Vietnam, in Southeast Asia, Thailand. What, how is the state of football here in terms of their soccer development? See, I just did it. I can just switch on a dime. Football development. What do we expect to see in the future? Well, will, 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 we, will Vietnam make the World Cup one day? Well, well, first of all, to make you feel better as well, I think there is a bit of confusion as to the term of soccer and football and the, the actual history of the terms. Soccer itself, most people say that's an Americanism and it's not really an Americanism. Because soccer is a, is a breakdown version of the word association. So you have association football, like you have rugby football. So you have rugger and soccer. That's all it was. And because in Australia, they have Australian rules football. In America, they have American football. And in Ireland, they have Gaelic football. So when football went to America, they used it as association football and they adopted the term soccer. So and the more you work across Asia, the more you just... It's irrelevant as long as they play the game properly, as long as they play the game well, and as long as they enjoy the game, that's all that kind of really matters. Obviously, the younger ones can enjoy it. The older ones have got to win. But, you know, that's, that's another conversation. 
Well, I but think uh, it's also... Answer... Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say, but to answer your second point, I think Vietnam could qualify for the World Cup, but it's still quite far off. Obviously, I hope that I'm very wrong in that. But I think that if you see how Vietnam played against Oman, how they played against against Australia and the UAE, they're certainly getting there. The gap isn't as big as a lot of people thought. But speaking as, as Scottish people, we know how fine that margin is to get over that finish line. Fortunately, I'm, I'm 45 years old, so I've saw Scotland at five World Cups. But there's a whole generation of people. We know the last one was France 98. So yeah. there are a generation of people that have only just got, saw Scotland playing in the Euros. But yeah, five World Cups for me. And, and for me, it was normal to see Scotland at a World Cup. I grew up with it being completely normal. And now, as I said, there's a whole generation. So Vietnamese people haven't had an opportunity to really enjoy the the same as uh, Thailand. I believe Indonesia is the only team that's ever qualified for the World Cup, but that was when they were the Dutch Indonesia. But what's also worth mentioning is the Vietnamese women's team have just qualified for the World Cup, for the Women's World Cup as well. So I love the fact that the women are leading the way, showing them very similar to in Scotland. The, the Scottish women qualified for the last World Cup and now the, the Vietnamese women have qualified. So hopefully, fingers crossed, the Scottish women will qualify for this World Cup, which uh, the Women's World Cup, which is getting played in Australia. And hopefully Vietnam and Scotland will be in the same group because that would be, a, I'd definitely go to that game in Australia. That would be an amazing game to go yeah. to. Do you think, are you worried that if Vietnam ever qualified for the World Cup, that just whole of Vietnam would burn to the ground? Because I saw what happened when they got to the final of the under-23 World Cup and I was here and it was the craziest thing, the most amazing, crazy thing I've ever seen in my life. For anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, they call it D-Bow, right? The storm. And what happened was Vietnam, did they win it? I can't even remember how they won. No, they only got to the final. They didn't even win it. They got to the final of the under-23 no, the under twenty three is the under twenty threes of the AFS Championship, the uh, Asia Cup, where they they got beat off of Uzbekistan in the snow. Incredible goal from Win Van Win Van Hai, sorry, with an incredible goal. Quan Hai is still just one of my my favorite players. The 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 Vietnamese Messi they call him, but <laughs> yeah, that that goal that he scored in the snow was something very special. I should point out, though, that that game should never have been played. That game should never have went ahead. Uzbekistan were playing in white when it was snowing. The ball was white, and then they changed the color of the ball. The, the, uh, Uzbekistan changed their strip at halftime, but they left the white socks on. In reality, you know, the, the players will look at the color of the shirt, but the linesman will look at the, for the color of the socks to decide what's onside and offside, etc., etc. So... They should have changed the colour of the socks. Now, we can say that it's history but, and let it all go, but it still annoys me that that game went ahead on another day Vietnam would have, uh, would have won that. Also, should be should mention that Vietnam under-23s just won the, the cup the other day, uh, which is the first time they've ever won it. So that was the ASEAN, the AFF ASEAN Cup. that They, they just beat Thailand 1-0 in the final in Cambodia in the Modernox uh, Techno Stadium in Cambodia. 
So that bodes well for the future that they're under 23. So I've just won that. But as you said, it's about winning the Asia Cup and then moving to, to the first team and the Vietnamese national team winning. But the great thing about AC and football also is that it's developing and it's learning. The passion is there. The growth is there. And it's really important to have those rivalries. And Vietnam have that rivalry with Thailand, whereas Cambodia has that rivalry with Vietnam in the same way that Scotland has that rivalry with England, but England has that rivalry with, with uh, Germany and Germany has that rivalry with, with Holland. It's important to have those regional rivalries. It's nice to be, have a friendly and it's nice to be nice, but sometimes when it comes to it, so football to me is war. You can have a friend or you have a friendly, but football is war. It was the way I was brought. It was the way I, I look at the game. My wife, I love her very much, but she supports a different team to me. So when our teams meet head to head, it's war. She knows that. She appreciates that. She feels exactly the same. And that's, that's just the way it is. That's the way it should be. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's always like that growing up a little bit with me. I had friends that were um, supporters of different teams and you would go to the stadium and you'd shout all sorts of abuse and then you'd meet up in the pub afterwards for a pint, you know, and it's like, it's all forgotten about, you know what I mean? Well, one of the things I've noticed here in Vietnam that they've already got... Maybe yeah. One of the things that Vietnam's already got a step up on Scotland is uh, that they don't have gravel pitches. <laughs> For anyone that is not from Scotland, so, well, please, they, please describe what is a gravel pitch. I was going to say, they, they, yeah, they, so yeah, so we grew up with these red ash pitches, which were. They were supposed to be multi-purpose pitches because it was to help the schools play. I believe it was to help the schools play um, hockey. But as a result, you would, as kids, we were as daft as a brush and we would still have slide tackles. So you would burn the side of your leg. But at the end of the day, you would wear that as a medal. You would show off to how much you, that how much you were committed to the cause by these slide tackles. The funny thing in Vietnam is uh, many of their pitches are lettuce grass, so they have different injuries from the injuries that we have. But I'm sure many Vietnamese children will have similar but different stories from from the surfaces that they have to play on. Yeah, because I, I was teaching in a school just last week, and I noticed they had like an astral pitch by the side of the school, and I was like, "What? We didn't have this. I want that one. I wanted that one. I was growing up. I hated it. I was one of those people that probably never developed as a football player because I was terrified of slide tackles. I was terrified of falling on it. I, anytime a goalkeeper went in and slid in and caught, I was just, I was just amazed. I was like, How, "Why? Because again, to stress anyone listening, imagine red stone." hard sand this is what for some reason growing up in scotland they decided to make football pitches made of this substance and we would play in the winter in like minus degrees or low to zero degrees wind chill freezing cold rain and, and wind and we had to go out there on a red gravel pitch and expected to play and i remember as well i live in a side football when you're like 14 or 13 i would see the ball about three times i would just be standing there like running up and down like you don't touch the ball. I remember when they introduced seven aside, I was like, this is the best thing ever. Like you play small games, you get more touches. Like it was amazing. So where is Vietnam in that kind of development? 
I was going to say, when I was under 10, we were playing 11 a side <laughs> on a full-size pitch with a, with a size 5 ball and all, <laughs> all the rest of it. But I do remember, it's funny when you have some of the best memories. I remember a coach, one of my coaches when I was a kid saying to me, when I complained about slide tackles, just the same as you said. And he said, a good defender doesn't need to make a slide tackle. You've made a mistake if you need to slide tackle. So you should be slide tackling anyway. So so he gave an excuse not to slide tackle anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, that's a good coach. My coaches were probably just like, get into Yeah. And maybe not even a nice way, a few expletives thrown in there as well at the same time, because I, there was no background checks. No. You could shout what you liked. <laughs> well, it was also just your mate's dad most of the time as well. And so they were just always, it was always the best player's dad was the coach, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, because that's how he got picked. And, you know, and if he did, coach was getting sacked and the dad would take over. So, yeah. He would, and it was normally the, the nicest woman that watched all the kits as well. So, yeah. Proper good Scottish community. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so if we hadn't la- left, if we hadn't lost all the audience earlier, we've definitely lost them now that we're reminiscing about red gravel pitches and, and football uh, jumpers for goalposts and stuff like that. But before before we move on, tell us about, so I've also, you've also got an awesome YouTube channel focusing on football. Tell us a bit more about that and what people can find on your YouTube channel. So I kind of realized that there was a bit of a gap in the market and many, many moons ago, as I kind of touched on earlier, I, my, when I went to university, I did sound engineering, I was kind of interested in radio and presenting. I had a a show on the BBC years ago, a music uh, show on the BBC. So I kind of, I've always kind of liked the presenting side. So being in Asia, I realized that there, there wasn't really many people covering ACN football in English. So it was kind of something that I wanted to do as a bit of a hobby. I wouldn't say it's snowballed, but it's getting there at the moment. So Harkis CGTV on YouTube, we kind of, we talk, we, we, we touch on ACN football, but I also kind of use it as a vehicle to promote some of the youth programs that we're doing, programs that we've done with Manchester City and Saigon Hanoi Bang, programs like that, but also the youth development programs for my consultancy company but also there's some humorous things of interviewing former coaches we've got the former Vietnamese women's coach on there a FIFA AFC delegate interview from Malaysia who has some incredible stories about being in Korea and you know getting guns pointed at him because he didn't allow a player to play and yeah so I've got a Dylan Kerr who was the who, who won the league with Leeds United and he's he was the manager of Haiphong and he's got some hilarious stories of him. He was in just all sorts of ridiculous situations. And yeah, so it's just more of a, of a humorous look at ASEAN football. And yeah, and, and also what's interesting is I have a lot of Asian listeners who use it purely to help them learn more English because it's a subject about football. So they love football. And so they enjoy being able to, to listen to uh, a Westerner talking about Vietnamese football. It's fascinating for them. But yes, yeah, so I cover Singaporean football, Cambodian, Malaysia, basically all the countries of, of, the, of the Asian region and a little bit more into Asia. And we touch on football rules, goals, history of football, stuff like that. It's, it's, any, it's anything about football, really. But I try, I try, I try, I try to make it more about ACN football, but 
We also just respond to people saying, talk to me about Indonesian ultras. So we did an Indonesian ultra video. So now I've got more people asking me to do it, to do <laughs> ultra video. Yeah, and, I saw that honest, video. I yeah, I wish I had time to do it full time. Uh, I, I, the reality is I don't. And if Vietnam could just stop being good at football for a minute, then I wouldn't have to do so many Vietnamese videos. <laughs> uh, but I'm a double-edged sword. So yeah, so ArcaCG TV, if you haven't watched it, click on it, uh, subscribe, tell me what, what you think. And, and I would love to hear people's thoughts on what I should do more videos of because... Sometimes, you know, you go down the wrong pathway of this is what I think people want to see. And then I get a message saying, no, we want you to do this. And it's a complete separate direction. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I really enjoy doing it. It's a good way for me to talk about football. And normally football that I'm not invested or involved in through the company, just more through my own football passion. So, yeah, something I hugely enjoy doing. Well, check it out. The link is in the show notes. So go down, check it out. Make sure, yeah, you do the, the what is it? Subscribe, turn on the notifications. Every, you've got to say that, don't you? It's like, yeah, yeah. Click on the bell. Everyone does it. Although I did, I did hear somebody say to me the other day that if you need to say subscribe and click the bell, then you're doing something wrong because people should be doing that already. That's and you're just point. thinking up. I, so I was like, yeah, I might stop doing that then because uh, it, <laughs> It might make me sound like I'm begging for subscribers, and I want yeah. people to subscribe, enjoy it, not because I'm begging them to. So that's interesting, yeah. Because I want I want to get into more YouTube stuff with with this podcast and with others, and it's just something that you see everyone does. But that's a really good point because I don't think I've ever subscribed because someone said that. I've subscribed to yeah. heaps of stuff, but it's always because I'm like, oh, I like this, so I want to make sure I get this in my algorithm in my feed, so like I'll click it. That's a good point. I bet you don't. I'd like to see some stats. I, I like data. So I'd love to see some data of how many people subscribe when they don't hear it versus when they do hear it, you know? But I, exactly. And that's what I was going to say. It's interesting because you said about when this goes on YouTube, you're putting the translation on it as uh, the, sorry, the, like, the subtitles, because that's something as well. I think it was the, there was a recent study where they said that 70% of people watching YouTube are watching it on their phone when they're traveling mm. so they don't have the volume on so yeah. they're reading the text i originally thought that the, the text used to annoy me because i thought oh because i have a scottish accent or because the guy has an irish accent or whatever the accent was i personally took it as an insult because i made the assumption that the reason why the subtitles are there is because we don't understand what the people's what the person's ah, saying. Right, I see. Yeah, I get to reality is the reality is because most people watch things. Younger people, I should point out, watch it volume <laughs> off, and, and that's yeah. what it is. So yeah, so sometimes when you come to a conclusion, you come to the wrong conclusion. <laughs> and and I think the other one that I found interesting was we always have that Harkus Consultancy Group advert at the beginning. And that's something that I've considered switching off now because if people are on the channel and they don't know what channel they're on, then I really shouldn't be having to tell them. And it's and when you look at your click rates of losing your audiences, yeah, as I said, it's a fascinating subject. Just you running a YouTube channel, it's an yeah. entire itself, and I just don't have the time. But <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 just, I try to do it as a hobby as much as I can. But hey, I'm, like anything else in life, I'm learning as I go along. Yeah, some I advice mean. I listen to, some I don't, but <laughs> some I probably should listen to more. But but yeah, yeah, it's hugely interesting. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, I have something I'm looking at getting into as well, but it, there is just so much and you're like, I just, yeah, it takes time. It's so funny because when you read, I read several things, you know, you read things about how to make a passive income and things like this. And one of the things I always read about is like, just start a YouTube channel. And you're like, do you know how much time and effort goes in to making a successful YouTube channel? See, some people are just idiots. So they're like, just start a YouTube channel. I even saw people say, start a podcast to make money. Trust me. Making a podcast does not make you any money. It costs you way more than you make, which is nothing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for a start on YouTube, you have to have 1,000 subscribers and 4,000 watch hours. That doesn't happen overnight. You know, you've got to put yeah. a lot of hours to, to get to that level. And, that, and it's not easy. It's not easy at all. I did like your video. I watched it. Was it one who he claimed he was a football player? <laughs> And, and you're like, do you play football for a team? And he's like, no. <laughs> if you have, go and check out the channel, as we said, it's in the show notes. Really funny video where a guy's telling Richard, like, I'm a football player. And he's trying to get his qualifications, which he has none. I want to know, is that based? I bet it is. Is that based on reality? So 100%, I was going to say, so basically every single one of those, I called that series uh, Real Life. Because every single one of those short videos are real situations that I've had, except the only difference is it's via social media or via emails. And so I wanted, for my own sanity, I thought I'm going to make these into short videos. So the next time somebody says this to me, I'm going to send them a link in the video rather than have to answer the person. I have about another seven of those and growing that I need to do. I had a guy recently telling me that he was Ronaldo, genuinely telling me <laughs> he was Ronaldo and he wanted me to be his agent. And I said, the actual, the real Ronaldo. And I said, I can't remember. I, I think I said the Ronaldo from, from Brazil or the other Ronaldo. And he said, yes, no. <laughs> Oh, I'm from Singapore. And I said, okay, you're from Singapore. You're Ronaldo from Singapore. And he said, yes, I just won the World Cup. I, and like the real Ronaldo hasn't even won the World Cup. What are you talking about? But yeah, he was, he was, he then proceeded to tell me that I didn't know what I was talking about because I am supposed to be a football consultant and I've never heard of Ronaldo, but he didn't realize trolling him purely so I can now make this into a video <laughs> for, for the next uh, real life. So yeah, all those, all those scenarios, you know, and also I don't want people to think that I'm using it to be harsh to people. I'm using it as an educational tool or <laughs> that's my excuse. The, the I'm using it as an educational tool to help because I get a lot of people that say, I get a, an email at four o'clock in the afternoon saying, good morning. And I'm like, it's not morning. And they'll say, well, it's morning where I am. I'm like, but it's not morning where I am. And you're sending someone an email or, or a, a private message on the internet. So you've clearly not shown enough interest in finding out where that person's from. And again, that goes across all business. You should be contacting anyone on the internet writing good morning. Because even if it was morning where I am, you don't know what time I'm opening the email at. You know, so it's... it's it's trying to educate people to help them. <laughs> and the information is that take it and you learn. If they don't learn, they don't learn. I, 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 I'm trying to help, but in a very spotted way. 
I've never heard anyone get so worked up about email salutations. You're going red in the face there. Hey, well, see if you get these, if you get those emails about, and I'm not exaggerating, about 40 a day. I have an algorithm now in all my social media that replies to them. And occasionally I will go into the algorithm and they're speaking to the bot that's giving them the answers over and over. And they're trying to enter into a conversation. The problem is at some stage that bot then drops them off. Now, if I do not go in and answer the conversation, that brings my mm -hmm. company rating and stuff like that down. So yeah, maybe if you get about 40 emails a day, then <laughs> yeah, you, you, you might get as annoyed as, <laughs> as I do when I get the message. What's up? That's on Facebook, that's on LinkedIn, that's on Instagram. I refuse to have a TikTok because I do not want the hassle. Yeah. I tell you what, I bet I will guarantee you by the end of 2022, you have a TikTok. Mark my words, but let's wait and see. Now, just quickly, what was Ronaldo's, what was Ronaldo's end goal? Like he's, guys, clearly not Ronaldo. He wants you to be his agent. What was he hoping was going to happen that you were just going to, because there was that guy in England that got signed up by a football team. Remember that famous one that played like 18 minutes for Southampton when he basically never played football in his life? What was he hoping was going to happen? Yeah, he... So I believe that guy was... A, he was a five, he scored... I think there was a situation in Scotland as well where a player had scored five goals, but they then... I think it was Graham Souness that tried to sign him and he later found out he'd only... He'd played in a five-and-a-side match and that was where the five <laughs> goals came just ridiculous but as for the Ronaldo guy I, I have spoke to my wife about this on many many occasions because there was no end like I don't know because where you want to meet him and you're like you're not Ronaldo he's like yes I, I am Ronaldo he was offering to pay my flight for me to go over to Singapore to meet him and this is where I was like I don't know if you've ever watched the uh, the TED talk with the guy that trolls people that spam them, you know, the Nigerian I have seen that one. I have seen that one. It's amazing. Well, I would, I was kind of thinking along this line, but I was also thinking, how long do I take this? How, how, how long do I continue on with this? Because A, this is ridiculous. B, I've got work to do. And, <laughs> and C, this is hilarious, but what is his end game? And for the life of me, I couldn't work out what the end game was. But like you, I wanted to know. And <laughs> yeah, he was offering to get a flight to go to Singapore. And I was thinking, how how is this gonna how is this gonna pan out? Like oh, I wish you'd done it. You should have gone. That would have been amazing. You could have filmed it. My guys you yeah. hello, I'm Ronaldo. <laughs> well, look out for that video because it's coming soon. Yeah. It's <laughs> brilliant. Now, last thing about football as well, I have a favorite football agent, okay? It's not Jorge Mendez, it's not Kai Chabin or whatever his name is. My favorite football agent, he has one client, he's got no experience as a football agent, and he had one big job to do last year and he couldn't do it. No, Harry, uh, Harry Kane's brother. So for anyone who doesn't know, Harry Kane, one of the like top, top football players in the whole world, his, he is represented by his brother. His brother has one client and has no previous experience as a football agent. Talk about the jackpot, the dream life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I think uh, Harry Kane recently invested in Leighton Orient. 
And I know the guys at Leighton Orient. I'll tell you a very brief story. And you can Google this. Uh, you Google my name and Talk Sport Radio because I was uh, discussed on Talk Sport again, completely randomly, because Yaya was, when Yaya came back from China, Yaya was trying to continue to train as we were looking for him to get a new club. Now, the problem was this was during COVID. So many of the clubs had a, a COVID bubble, so they couldn't go to championship clubs. They couldn't go to premiership clubs. So I spoke to some of the people I know at Watford and even spoke to the guys at the City Football Group. And they were saying, we'd love to have them along. Great. So I reached out to some of the guys that I know at Leighton Orient and got Okay, yeah, so, so there was a situation that came up, but if you Google my name on uh, TalkSport, this kind of backs up this insane story because it was around about the time when I was trying to get Yaya to come over to, well, I was trying to get him contract, a, a contract after he'd left the club in China. Now, this was around about the time where COVID had start, started to be a massive program uh, problem globally. And... So the problem that that created was you had players who wanted to, who needed to still train to stay at the top of their game, but players that were out with the club couldn't train. So Yaya, with the stature that he had, I contacted people I know in the English Premiership and the Championship, some of the biggest teams there, great clubs, great people, really good people working for them. And they came back to me and they said, we can't because of the COVID bubble, you know, they're not allowed to come into the into the training facility because they're not under their insurance, et cetera. So all makes sense. But League One, League Two teams you could speak to because it was under a different, I don't know, jurisdiction, whatever, whatever it was. So I reached out to one or two people that I know in the admin from Leighton Orient. And so they put me in contact with, they said, this is the guy you should contact and this is his LinkedIn. So I was, Okay, no problem. So I went to his LinkedIn and I contacted him. And the, of course, the, the the comedy of that was he thought that I was one of these dodgy a- agents pretending, somebody like who pretends he's Ronaldo, for example. <laughs> and I can understand if some random guy comes to you saying, yeah, I, I'm the, the Asian agent of Yaya Tori and he wants to come and train with you guys. So he decided to try and call my bluff by by contacting me back. So I was like, yeah, no problem. And he said, oh, you haven't got in contact with me. And I said, no, I think I was in Singapore or Vietnam at the time. I don't remember. But he was like, oh, you take ages to get back to me. And I said, yeah, because I'm in a different country. There's a, it's a time zone. It's a time zone thing. And he was like, ah, right. Okay. So I still don't think he believed that Yaya, that I was trying to get Yaya to come and train with him. So the, I think the last joke was on me though, was when uh, Yaya pulled up to the training grounds jumped out of the car he had the mask over his face because of covid and i think everyone just kind of died on the spot as yaya tori walked into the training ground at late orion the next thing you had newspapers uh, in england and all the media oh yaya tori signing for late orion and, and then i was discussed on talk sport because some random agent that they thought was a joke wasn't really a joke and <laughs> yaya's contacting me as he he's like what's going on here and I'm trying to get my club in Vietnam and I'm getting contacted by Talk Sport in, uh, in the UK. It's, yeah, so so the problem when people 
pretend that they're Ronaldo. This has a knock-on effect for people that are trying to actually do business as well. Now you throw pandemic into the mix, and yeah, you have all sorts of problems. But yeah, check that out. If you Google, I think uh, there was an interview done with with the head coach of Lane Orion. He, yeah, he was rather surprised that Yaya Tori turned up to the training session. And credit to the guys at Lane Orion. Uh, the coaching staff were brilliant. Yaya had a great time. They got on a lot of social media out of it. Leighton Orient, I've got a lot of respect for the O's fans as well, you know, with what they've been through with previous ownership and stuff. So it's a great club. But yeah, it's a great story. And it's owned by Harry Kane and his agent brother. Brilliant. Yes, it's now owned by Harry Kane and his agent brother. Yes, yes. <laughs> that, was, that was a great piece of agenting by his brother. He's like, right, Harry, I've got a great investment for you. We're going to invest in Lane Orion, okay? It's a sound, sound investment. <laughs> Obviously, yes. <laughs> now, now, what we're going to do, we're going to move on to the final questions that I ask everyone at the end of each episode. But before we finish, we're going to then delve into the, the conspiracy side of things because it is a different topic. And we'll, we'll actually add that on as a bonus episode for anyone who wants to keep listening and hear because it's completely uh, completely off topic to what we're talking about now. So we'll fin- finish with these final questions. If yeah. you could travel anywhere in Vietnam and stay there for one week, where would you go and why? Halong Bay, because I've not been. So quite easy. Halong <laughs> Bay, I've never been. I think there's, I've been to most places in Vietnam. In fact, that's quite rude of me. I would say I think I've been to most places. <laughs> I've not been to, I've not really spent a lot of, when, when I've gone to Hanoi, it's been to the train, to the Vietnamese, to the VFF training and either to football stadiums, whether it's my den or whatever. I've not actually really seen a lot. <laughs> I've not been to Hue. I would like to go Mate, to. You just said I've been to most places in Vietnam. You've not been anywhere. You've not been to Halong Bay. You've not been to Sapa. You've not been away. You haven't seen most of Hanoi. You ain't been anywhere. You gotta get out. All stadiums. What can I say? <laughs> Just similar. I've been. A, when people say, oh, "Have you been to Germany?" and I was like, "Yeah, I've been to Germany. I went for a football game. I was there for twenty-four hours." Have you been? Did you ever go to Holland? Yeah, I went to Holland. I went for a football game. I was there for twenty-four hours. You ever been to France? I went to France. Yeah, I was there for a football game. I was there for twenty-four hours. You, you don't really get to see the the play, right? Mate, you gotta go out more. That is ridiculous. I've been in most places That's how football in Vietnam. Fans go to country. Yeah, for sure. All right, but next yeah, one then. Me. I'm not being happy on me. Oh, you're going to go there for a week then. What advice would you give to a tourist coming to Vietnam? A serious answer or a funny answer? You can give any answer. Beautiful a country as it is. If you're a tourist come, coming here, don't drop your guard when you're walking along in the street. Keep your valuables either in the hotel in a safe or in your pocket. Don't be waving stuff around in the street because the Vietnamese people are beautiful, beautiful people, but there's some dodgy people out there and people need to keep that in mind. If you, people, people seem to think that, oh, if you were robbed and you were stupid or you were doing something daft, you know, particularly during COVID now, there's a lot of really desperate people out there. And so, it can happen to the best of us. It can happen to the widest of us. So, yeah, look after your belongings, I would say. Mm. And that's maybe, the, that's maybe the, 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 one of the negative or the not so much nasty, but the ones that people don't really want to talk about. But, but yeah, for, from a more kind of light side of things, 
just try stuff. Maybe, which which actually sounds like it's the complete opposite of what I'm saying, but some of the most, some of the best nights that I've had in Vietnam is walking up past a lane and saying, oh, I wonder what's down there. And you go down and it's a massive courtyard with like beer, like bars and beautiful, beautiful places. But if you always kind of continually just, you know, wander around and like explore more, I would say, you know, if you're, if you're a tourist come here, try to explore, be wary, but try to explore. <laughs> I know what that. No, it's good advice. I think don't just wander down any dark alley. But maybe get on the internet and find out what's down that dark alley first. But in yeah. terms of the yeah. snatching, it is a, it is a, a problem here. I don't think it's hugely bad. It's not no worse than anywhere else. It's a supremely safe place, Vietnam, in, in terms of nearly all crimes. I, I don't, especially for a tourist, it's extremely safe. But it does happen, and it's like you said, it can happen to anyone. Our first time in Hanoi, we were at the night market, and someone bumped into Adri, and we were like, oh. And sure enough, our phone had gone, you know, and it happened that quickly. Yeah. We were like, oh, they just bumped into us. But then I've also seen people in the street, you know, have their phone out, waving it, taking pictures of traffic. And I've stopped on my bike and been like, put your phone away because that's just asking to get it yeah. snatched because people will take advantage of that. If you're waving your phone out, they're just going to grab it out of your hand. So n- neither way is right, but it can happen when you're not looking for it or it can happen when, well, not because you're looking for it. It can happen out of nowhere or it can happen because you're waving your phone in the street. So you do need to be careful. I think it's, I think it's easy for a lot of guys to say it's not as bad, but uh, you know, I, I, I don't know many stories in the UK where people have been robbed and I've lived, you know, what, 25, 30 years in the UK. Whereas I know lots of stories of my time in Vietnam, lots. So, mm. I mean, there is a difference in particularly if you're female as well, uh, you know, being more vulnerable. Mm. I, I certainly think that that is an issue. Sometimes it's very easy for guys to say, I'm not getting, I'm not speaking about you specifically, but you know, I think that there's a mentality of, oh no, it's really safe. And you're like, except it's, it might be safe, more safe for, for guys. And we kind of sometimes fall into that mindset that it was okay for me. So mm. it's okay for everyone else. And that's not always the case. No, that's a good point because there, there is a lot of problems that and I've heard about them and know about it that women have been either attacked or assaulted that we probably don't even get close to seeing. But I, I, I don't know the statistics, but we know that happens in our home countries as well, you know, so it's kind of like, you know, I don't know what the exact rates of crime are and things like that. But yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. So this this might follow on from this. So obviously, how long have you lived in I Vietnam think, now? I think, I mean, I mean, so in Vietnam, I have been here for, oh, coming on eight years, I think it is. All right. Eight so years. What, what advice would you give to someone thinking of moving to Vietnam? Do it. Do it yesterday. Do it last week, like immediately. It will change, it'll change your life and you'll wonder why you hadn't done it. I have not spoke to anyone, anyone that has regretted it. Not a single person have I spoke to that's regretted to to Vietnam you go through peaks and troughs you know sometimes are more difficult than others but generally Absolutely. as as a rule and what what I would say what I would say as an add-on to that is that sometimes there's an expectation level that we have as foreigners coming to Vietnam and if you can just lower that expectation a little bit then you won't 
get as annoyed as you normally would. And that's something I had to learn when I was here because I would say, well, this wouldn't happen when I'm back home in Scotland or this wouldn't happen. But, you know, there's lots of other things that uh, there's a lot more positive things as well. When things get too much, I always have this expression. I say to myself and I say to my wife and I'm like, just look at the palm trees. Look up at the palm trees. Look at the sunshine. You're in a, you're in a beautiful country with beautiful people, uh, beautiful food, a beautiful lifestyle. And I, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm lucky to be here because, you know, it's, it's, you've, you've got to work to, to get to that stage. But be thankful for what you've got and be aware of what you had before. And yeah, if you have the opportunity to move here or you're thinking about moving here, do it. Do it. Because even if you came here for six months and you didn't like it, come, come here on holiday for a month. Decide. But I, I know many people that have come here thinking they're going to pass through for a week or two weeks, maybe on their way back from Australia, and they end up staying here because that's what happens. So yeah. Take the plunge, give it a go. You don't, you know, you won't know unless you give it a try. <laughs> well, I came here for six weeks and six years later, I'm still here. So yeah, that, that's exactly how it works out. Exactly. Now, now this question is something that I often see come up on expat groups here. And we've talked a little bit, we can maybe talk a bit more in the bonus part. We've talked a little bit about virtue signaling and I, I see this often. And this is where this question comes from for you. What's the difference between an expat and an immigrant? First of all, I would say I try to stay off these expat forums because they are, for the most part, horrible places. They are full of, so, okay, that's unfair because then I would be as bad as them to say this, but <laughs> there are many, many really creepy people on there. There are many kind of, I, I would say, so for me, I never consider myself an expat. I'm an immigrant. I think that there's also expats and sexpats <laughs> as well. So you know, there, there, there's worth that taking into consideration as well. I think that there's a new generation of immigrants coming here, which is very different to the old that, that, that used to be here. Now, I'm not saying all the old people are like that. Many of my Many of my friends that I drink with and I go out with are kind of of that older era and they feel exactly the same. If you were ever to look for a positive of COVID, many of these people have left because of that. Unfortunately, we've also lost a lot of good younger people because of that as well. But yeah, for me, I would say I'm an immigrant. The, if I was to give an exact definition, there's, there's a mindset. And there's also a financial level as well. You know, if, if you were to come here on an expat salary with an expat wage and a typically expat job with the expat benefits of health insurance and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then I would understand how people would consider you as an expat. Me personally, as a working class person, I feel uncomfortable at, the, at how the word immigrant has become a dirty word. And so therefore, with my upbringing, I pull myself to the underdog a lot more. And so I would say I, I'm an immigrant. I am fortunate enough to be in Vietnam. I'm fortunate to stay here. I'm fortunate to have Vietnamese friends. I think the term expat creates an air of superiority that I don't really agree with and I don't want to be part of. Will it always be like that? Maybe. I don't know. But 
I'm more comfortable being an immigrant. All right. Awesome. Thank you for that answer. Uh, I've already shared my opinion on it, so I'm not going to repeat it, but you can go back and listen to previous episodes if you want to hear my answer. I don't need to repeat it on everyone. And then last question. Uh, if Vietnam was a person, how would you describe them? I lost you there. If Vietnam was a person... I'll ask it again. If Vietnam was a person, how would you describe them? Is she, uh, is she male or female? It's <laughs> up to you. You you decide. We've had people uh, say either or, so you decide. If Vietnam was a person, that's a great question. If Vietnam, if Vietnam was a person, I would envision envisage them as very. I, I know what I'm thinking. I'm just trying to verbalize it right. A very kind of well. God, what's the right word? <laughs> They've seen a lot. They've been through a lot. They're kind of, they're weather worn, but they still have their pride and they still walk with their head up. They, their best years are still ahead of them. I kind of, I, I envisage it as, as like an old Vietnamese auntie, but incredibly strong with a huge family around her that, 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 you know, that, that, that love her and cherish her and follow her around. Big boss lady, the kind of woman you'd see at the side of the road kind of bossing everyone around. I, it would certainly be a female character for me. It would be male. And that's something I also love about Vietnam is how the female figures are always seen as the strong figures as well. So that's why I would see it as a, as a, as a strong female figure. There's certainly an older woman that's seen, she's been through it, and she's not going to fall for, for uh, any of your nonsense. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, perfect. And uh, someone else said a female as well. I think a couple of people, and it's, yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine Vietnam being anything other than a female because the women are just so strong and, and powerful here. So thank you so much. So that's going to finish the main part of the podcast. Before we go, tell people where they can follow you. We talked about HCGTV. The links are going to be there. Where else can they follow you? Know more about what you can do. We'll put it in the notes so people can go check it out. Okay, so very simple. If you go to harkiscg.com, the website, all the links are on the website to my social media, whether that's Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. You can type in Harkis Consultancy Group, where we are able to help develop football programs. Maybe your child wants to go to university, college in the UK, Europe, and the US. We can help development pathways for young players all the way through. We also, yeah, we work in education. We work in in, in all kind of facets of football, whether that's commercial work as well. So we bring players up for PR events and stuff like that. But yeah, go to harkiscg.com and see all the services that we provide, promoting Asian football and helping players, even if they're not Asian, if they're if they're kids here from anywhere in the world and they want to go on to larger football programs, football clinic, clinics, camps, etc. around the world. It's all about education and trying to help develop people, people into the best people they can be on the pitch and off the pitch. So yeah, harkistg.com and all our social media is on there. Awesome. And I Ronaldo... I'll take that as a soundbite. <laughs> and Ronaldo from Singapore, if you're listening, please get in touch. We want to know more. We want to know what your end game is. So uh, drop us a message. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Well, look, thank you so much. This is the end of the main podcast, but please jump. Uh, we'll publish the second part. We're going to keep chatting about conspiracy theory. So thank you for listening. Richard, thank you so much for your time. And I'm just going to grab you for a little bit longer and let's delve into the world of conspiracy theories. Excellent. Thanks for listening to this episode of a Vietnam podcast by 7 Million Bites. We hope you enjoy hearing our guest stories. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and turn on notifications so you never miss a new episode. Thank you so much to Lewis Wright, who made the 7 Million Bikes music and continues to support us in every way. Also, to our audio engineer, Luke Digweed, for making sure each episode sounds amazing for you. Also, a big thanks to the 7 Million Bikes community. Thank you so much. It's amazing to get to know you guys. It's amazing to see how much we're growing, and I look forward to seeing you at our next event. You can join the community today. The link is in the description of the show. You'll get free tickets to 7 Million Bikes events, episodes before anyone else, and extra special bonus content only for you, and invites to special member-only events. You will also obviously be providing massive support so that we can keep sharing people's stories with you on a Vietnam podcast. Also, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And remember, we have seven seasons of stories to share with you. So check them out if you haven't already, and we hope you can listen to future episodes too so you can laugh, connect, and discover. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.